2: You might think that a woman who had done the things that I'm about to tick off this list wouldn't get invited to many parties or wouldn't get invited to parties at the place where these things happened. She fell drunk into a Christmas tree covered with, uh, you know, a gay couple's expensive glass Christmas tree ornaments and destroyed the whole thing, brought down the tree and nothing was salvageable. Every ornament shattered forever. She also uh, drunk at a birthday party. Uh, Stood on something and then fell onto an expensive glass coffee table covered with, at that point, late in the night in the party, most of the host's glassware. And all of it was destroyed, including the expensive uh, glass coffee table that they have not replaced. Um, Now in their living room is a tiny little wooden table that's the placeholder for the coffee table of their dreams they haven't been able to locate. Again, they found it once before. You know how gay men are. They found their coffee table of their dreams. It's the shit we dream about when we're not dreaming about getting fists in our ass. And now they have to find another they have to dream, a new coffee table, dream, and my heart goes out to them. You would think this person wouldn't get invited to many parties, certainly not any more parties, at that place where she fell under the Christmas tree and somehow landed on a coffee table covered in glassware. But no, she was there. She was at the wedding that I was at. I was on vacation for a month. I'm back. Uh, and this woman, this lovely woman, Mags, was at this party. The couple, um, whose Christmas tree she destroyed, and whose coffee table she landed on, were getting married and not only was she invited to the party to the to the wedding and the garden party the day after at the scene of those crimes, she was one of the best women. she was one of the folks up there in the front, standing with the grooms as they were wed and it was very beautiful, and I was delighted to meet this person she was Charming and funny and wonderful and got through the entire wedding and the entire garden party without landing on anything, which is to be commended. Anyway, this is just a way to say, like, that's one of the things we travel for. We travel to meet new and interesting people, people who are so charming and funny and sweet and charismatic that they can destroy everything in someone's apartment and still get invited to the wedding. So, Mags, it was so nice to meet you and it was... Wonderful uh, learning Scottishisms, those terms. Uh, It was a little bit of an effort. Uh, Sometimes Terry and I were in Glasgow at this wedding and every once in a while we would look at each other and say, I can't wait till we get to Vienna where we can understand everyone who speaks English because we were having trouble in Scotland. Uh, But Megs, it was wonderful to meet you and to learn that song from your childhood that you shared with us. Here comes the Highland granny, two tits and a hairy fanny. Of course in america fanny means butt but in scotland fanny means pussy and when scottish children are young they sing this song about their grandparents <laughs> anyway i've been thinking about vacations because i get to go on one because i am privileged you know And i also get a month's vacation now because i've had the same job for 20 plus years and you start out with a couple of weeks then you get another week later and then you get a fourth week when they're which is almost like a, please go away. We're, we're sick of you. Here's a fourth week of vacation. Take a long one, which is what I did. I wish more Americans got to take vacations. 25% of all Americans get no paid vacation time. Vox.com wrote an article about this, responding to an online petition by a group called the Vacation Equality Project, which is calling on Congress and the White House to mandate paid vacations for all Americans. This is never, ever, ever going to happen. If providing health care to all Americans is some sort of tyrannical plot uh, forcing employers to provide paid vacation days for the employees, the Supreme Court just said you don't have to give birth control pills to, that you can deny birth control coverage to because of your sincerely held religious beliefs. I'm sure we can dig up some thing in the big fat Bible that says that, You're not allowed to have vacation days and then Hobby Lobby will opt out. But this is never going to happen. But it's a nice thought. All Americans should get a few weeks off. And this is just another way in which we are screwed. Travel is broadening. One of the reasons I think we don't have paid vacation for all Americans is that the people who run this country, the rich people and the politicians they've purchased are terrified that if Americans were to get out of here every once in a while and go abroad, they would realize how fucked we are. I was just in Vienna where the public transportation is amazing. I met people who I talked about this once on the show before. Met somebody who's getting their PhD and I stupidly asked, you know, what kind of student loans he was taking out to fund his studies and he looked at me like I was insane and informed me that the government is paying him to take time off work for a year to finish his PhD because The government where he lives recognizes that an educated populace is worth investing in as opposed to here where we are supposed to take on onerous amounts of debts and crush ourselves in pursuit of an education. If you go abroad, you'll meet people who have access to health care, including birth control coverage. You'll meet people who have paid maternity leave and paid, and in Sweden, compulsory paternity leave. Sweden thinks fathers should have to stay home too and mandates it. So that dads can't weasel out. And Sweden thinks that dads should bond with their children too. And so mom gets maternity leave and dad gets compulsory paternity leave. Anyway, education, access to healthcare, maternity leave, paid, mandatory paid, vacation time. Uh, We're so free here. But basically freedom here means your employer is free. You are not so free. One of these that drives the right crazy about Obamacare is that people are now free to quit jobs they hate that they used to be stuck in because they were basically enslaved by health care policy. Because if you left your job, you would lose your health insurance and somebody with a sick child at home can't leave his job. And so that just hands so much power to the employer – and one of the things the right complains about is people are quitting their jobs because their health is transportable now. Anyway, this is all the shit I was thinking about while I was on vacation. While I was meeting delightful people like Megs, who is a podcast listener, she told me. Which is why I'm opening the show by saying, hey, Megs, I hope you enjoy the podcast. She also told me that she listens to the podcast because it reliably puts her to sleep. So maybe you're already asleep, Megs. I hope not, but... This one's for you. Here comes the Highland Granny, two tits and a hairy fanny. And before we move off Scotland, I want to say congratulations to Neil and Willie on your wedding. It was wonderful to be there. Thank you for having us. And coming up, post-vacation, a ton of calls. And on the magnum, Laszlo from Burning Man here to talk about the Orgy Dome. That and more on the Sabbath Lovecast.
3: Hey, Dan. I got a question about being Mish. I'm a straight guy in my mid-30s. I've been with the same girl for years, about three and a half years. She's great. She's exceptionally beautiful. She's exceptionally smart, very, very funny in a really crass way. She doesn't drink. She has big ambitions. And in my opinion, she's got it all. And I worship the ground she walks on. She's also an exotic dancer, and I bring that up because it took me a while to get used to. I was just dumb and uncomfortable with the idea of her being naked with other guys in private rooms. I do believe her when she tells me nothing cheaty goes on, but for the longest time, I was dreadfully uncomfortable with the basic fact of her being alone with another guy. I got over that. Her being a dancer lets her live the life she wants economically. She can do a lot of great things for the people she loves, and that's great, and I got over it. I support her fully. What I'm now having a very tough time with is her desire to be in an open relationship. That's really tough for me. It's hard, uh, it's hard to think about, especially in that we don't really have sex all that often these days. It's pretty rare. So I assume this is just sort of to wake up her libido maybe or enjoy life in a different way or enjoy our relationship in a different way. It's just hard to think about because she's all I need. I don't need to be with anybody else, but because I'll do anything for her, I want to get my head straight to be somewhat cool with what she wants to do. So my question to you is, how do I do that? How do I get over how freaked out I am about an open relationship? Again, she's all I want. That's the honest truth. But how do I get comfortable with the idea of her being with somebody else and being monogamish or wherever else this might be headed? I'd love her help because I really do want to do what she wants.
2: You know I'm down with the whole monogamish relationship thing. Sometimes I'm accused of being maybe a little too down with it. But I'm kind of down on it based on... The few scraps of info that you give us in your call or the most important scrap of info, which is you and your girlfriend rarely, if ever, fuck. So she wants an open relationship. She wants to fuck other guys, but she doesn't want to fuck you. And you guys don't fuck that often. Uh, And you think maybe this will awaken her libido if she can be freer to fuck other people. And a lot of people who've opened up their relationships do report that that is exactly what happens. That once they have this new sense of adventure and possibility, once they're looking at their partner and no longer thinking, here is the reason I can't have sexual adventures, here is the reason that I can't do this, that, or the other, or this, that, or the other person, they're suddenly infused with a new desire for their partner because their partner no longer symbolizes the end of adventure and fun and newness and variety. But I'm worried for you. You're you're 3.5 years into this relationship. You and your girlfriend don't fuck. You don't fuck. Rarely to me, that just means you don't fuck. And I'm wondering if this is a relationship based on mutual attraction and affection or if you're her, as some guys have called it when they get into a relationship with women who don't want to fuck them, her kind of her emotional tampon. You play the boyfriend socially, emotionally. You provide her with support, um, but she's really not that attracted to you, perhaps. And you're being sold a false bill of goods. And it would be fine if that was fine with you, you know, to be in a sexless relationship, if that's fine with you, or to be in a relationship with someone who has sex with other people and not so much with you and you don't care because you don't have a very high libido. But it doesn't sound like that's fine with you. It sounds like you might have a problem with that. A problem with watching her run off excitedly to fuck the other guys out there in the world who are not you when you are neglected sexually. So my advice to you would be to have a long drawn out conversation with your girlfriend about what this means, about how she feels about you, how she feels about you sexually. She does sex work. She's a stripper. I've heard from people who do sex work who strippers who go home. And the last thing they want to do is be objectified, have more sex. It can throw a wrench into the works of a sexual relationship, an intimate romantic relationship with a partner Uh, if they're the kind of person who's sort of knocked sideways by that sex work and that objectification, they can't compartmentalize it. They can't separate it. Maybe she has that problem. If that's her problem, I don't see how fucking other people solves it for you. You say you'll do anything for her, anything to be with her. Sounds that way. Sounds as if you're already doing anything for her. Consenting to be in a sexist relationship is kind of a big giveaway being with someone who's a stripper, that's not a, a big deal. Well, you should be able to do that. You should be able to accept that. That's not a big deal. But it is a big deal to say to the person who is your romantic partner who doesn't fuck you, yes, you can go fuck other people. If what you hope to get out of this is more sex, if her freedom to fuck other people will result in her wanting to fuck you more, okay, go for it. The sexlessness in this relationship is a problem, is a problem for you, must be a problem for you if you are contemplating giving her the okay for me in hopes that she'll fuck you more often. My advice to you would be this. Give her the permission to fuck other people, to go out there. If that doesn't redound to your benefit, if that doesn't change the relationship in the way that you hope it changes the relationship, that she wants to fuck you more as a result, then you need to end this relationship because to borrow the mid-90s-ism, she may not be that into you. She may like you a lot. She may love you as a friend, but she may not be sexually into you the same way you are into her. And to be in that kind of relationship over the long term is going to shred your sexual self-esteem. And eventually you're going to get out to go find somebody else who is as into you physically, sexually as they are romantically, intellectually. And if she demonstrates that she ain't that person, once you give her that freedom to fuck other people, I would urge you to get out and get out Hi,
4: hey Dan, this is a 22 year old bi girl from Ohio. And I've been dating my 29 year old boyfriend for three years now. And as I said at the beginning of the call, I am bi and he knows that he always tries to skirt around the issue, but I just don't know what to do anymore. Like I like need girls. Like I, I, I like want to date a girl. It's all I think about. It's just like when I see girls, I just want to be with them. And I've tried to talk to my boyfriend, you know, about even the concept of open relationships. And he is totally not on board. I've like brought up things that you have said. And like, I understand that that's not what he wants. And I just don't know what to do because I love him. That's why we've been together for three years. But I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, should I just secretly just, I don't know, fool around with girls? Like, he doesn't understand at all. I think he. I mean, he's thought at various points that he's asexual, so he basically has never felt desire for anyone but me. So it's hard for him when I even talk about girls being hot on TV. He gets all like weird and sad. I guess I just don't know what to do.
2: Here's what you need to do you need to break up with your boyfriend. You are not sexually compatible. And also, we have to note here you are an outlier. We hear all the time that bisexuals are capable of monogamy uh, and commitment. You are not one of those bisexuals who is capable of monogamy and commitment because you, in your own words, you need both. And this guy doesn't want to share you with anyone. And if he's asexual, he probably isn't that interested in you sexually either, which makes me wonder why you're with him in the first place. You say you love him. Okay, well, you can continue to love him as a friend. You say you love him too much to break up with him. But you are contemplating cheating on him, which calls into question exactly how much you really love him. You are young, you are bi, and you are incapable of a monogamous commitment. You know that about yourself. So, being with someone who requires a monogamous commitment of you is a chaos generator. It's going to cause a lot of drama in your life because you will eventually cheat and then you will most likely get caught and then there will be a big explosion. You say he doesn't understand your need for both and your desire to not just fuck a girl on the side, but also maybe have a relationship with a girl. There's one way you can make him understand how central to your sexual identity and expression, how important this is to you, and that's by breaking the fuck up with him. And then maybe he'll be able to wrap his head around the only way to have you in his life is to give you this permission to date other people. But unless you're willing to pull that trigger, he'll never have to understand it. And if you can't break up with someone because you love them too much, you shouldn't cheat on that motherfucker either. Not in this circumstance.
5: Hi, Dan, I'm 30 and married and I'm in need of perhaps what you would call some fatherly advice. Um, I've been with my wife for almost 10 years We've been married for just over one. And early in our relationship, my wife made it clear that, you know, she wanted to be married for a little while before she ever had kids. And I've always been fine with that. Um, Kids were something that I've imagined as something in my future. But the older that I get, I just kind of feel like the less I want kids, um, I I'm well aware of all the things that come with children and I've also known however that this is kind of a price of admission to be with my wife and I've always been willing to pay that but that price is becoming so steep it feels like to me and we've been married for about a year and I know that this eventuality is going to be looming where she says that she's ready and I'm going to have to either step up or step out. And I have no desire to do that either to her or myself. And I'm just not sure what to do at this point. It's, I I want to want it, but I don't know how to get there. You know, I don't know how to, reconcile my desire for that in my future with all of the doubts and fears that I have that just scream, no, and I just don't know what to do. So any help you could provide would be great because I know that, you know, as a gay man, you know, (laughs) you and Terry had to decidedly decide to have children and then take extra steps to even get there. So I'm not even sure what kind of help you can give me, but any conversations that I've had with friends have just not really been so helpful. And I'm just wondering what you might have to add.
2: I have two conflicting thoughts in my head right now. The worst parents in the world are people who didn't want to be parents. So if you don't want to be a parent, for fuck's sake, don't have children But the world is full of people who were ambivalent or even, you know, opposed to having children but who had children because that's what their partner wanted to do and wound up after the fact, if they become parents, being really truly wonderful parents and looking back on their doubts and their ambivalence and realizing it was just a kind of cold feet um, and they're really grateful to be parents. So two conflicting thoughts in my head right now about what to tell you to do. You don't want to be a parent? Don't be a parent, which means end this relationship but you love this woman and you want to be with her and you have thought about this for a decade, talked about it for a decade. You know, sometimes you just take a leap of faith into the unknown. The person though, that you really need to be talking with about this is your wife. I don't know when the last time you checked in with her about this was, but your feelings have changed. You're 30 now. It's possible. Her feelings have changed. She may have doubts. She may be feeling ambivalent. You've been together a long time and it doesn't sound like she's pressed the issue uh, in any way based on your call. If this were an immediate concern, if she were throwing her birth control pills out the window and jumping on your deck, I'm sure you would have mentioned that and you don't mention that. So you might want to go talk to the wife. And if you're going to parent with someone, you have to be able to be brutally honest and direct with them. If you're going to parent or not parent with them, you have to be able to express your feelings of ambivalence and doubt to that person. That's something that she needs to take into account before she decides whether she wants to parent with you or not. Forgive me for using parent as a verb. Can't help it. Can't avoid it anymore. It just is an established thing now in the English language. Forgive me. Uh, She may need to take that into account before she decides whether she wants to get pregnant by you. But if in that conversation it comes out that you are adamantly opposed to this and it's a deal breaker for her, she absolutely positively wants to have children, then you need to break up you need to divorce while she is still young enough and her eggs are still eggy enough to go out there and find somebody else who wants what she wants. So time for a long, drawn out, brutally honest, let the chips fall where they may, let the DNA fall where it may convo with the wife, not the fag with the podcast.
6: Hi, Dan. I am a 26 year old gay male. I came out to my parents uh, recently. Although I think this is like the eighth time I've had to come out to them, uh, I've told them, you know, varying degrees of my sexuality, and they had a lot of issues with it because my brother is also gay. It's just been it's been difficult for them with my brother coming out. He uh, came out in a way that was very difficult. He, they found pictures of him with a guy, so uh, and so he didn't actually ever come out of the closet. He was forced out. And so I decided I needed to come out uh, to them. Anyway, they are having uh, a lot of issues with it. They, you know, they've contacted Christian organizations. They're very devout, conservative Christians. They've been asking me a ton of questions about my my upbringing, and it turns out they don't know this, but I was sexually abused as a child. It happened uh, fairly uh, consistently. With uh, someone they don't know, they don't know any any of the situation. They've been asking a lot of questions because they are are connecting homosexuality with uh, the possibility that I was sexually abused. I don't think that they're connected, uh, but they've been asking questions directly, asking if um, I was sexually abused, and I feel compelled to lie to them about it. I don't want them to associate the two things. So I just want to ask you if you think I should. Tell them and be honest with them about this. I gave them the ultimatum that you have suggested of, like, get on board or get out of my life, basically. And right now they're still balking at that decision. Uh, so I don't know what to do.
2: One of the big myths about what makes people gay is that having kind of a shitty relationship with your dad, if you're a boy, can make you gay. And it gets it backwards. I was one of those gay boys who had kind of a, a weird and shitty relationship with his father growing up. We're good now. Hi, Dad. Um, But growing up, we were very estranged, very distant from each other. But that wasn't what made me gay. We had that distance and we were estranged because I was a gay kid. And he didn't have the language to address that. We didn't know how to talk about it. There wasn't any awareness about the existence of queer kids then. I was just this little sissy. And my straight cop, Catholic deacon dad wasn't equipped to deal with that. And so we were very much... Uh, you know, we had a very distant and, and, and awkward relationship. That wasn't what made me gay. That happened because I was gay. The same thing is true, uh, and I'm not equating the two, of course, or the trauma of the two, with a lot of gay kids who experience sexual abuse. Gay kids are often targeted for sexual abuse by predators because they rely, the predators will rely on the kid's own sense of shame and guilt that they can rely on that kid's sense of shame and guilt to silence that kid. The kid often will end up uh, a gay kid who's been sexually abused, feeling somehow responsible for or complicit in their own abuse. And they may feel incapable of opening up to the adults in their lives about what's happened to them, lest they attract attention to the thing that they're trying to hide, which is their sexuality. You can't really go to mom and dad and say, I'm being sexually abused by a same sex abuser I'm being raped because it's going to call into question perhaps your sexuality and draw attention to your sexuality uh, or your difference. So in the same way that my relationship with my dad didn't make me gay, my relationship with my dad was what it was then because I was gay, you may have been targeted for sexual abuse uh, because you were gay. It didn't make you gay, but the predator who targeted you sensed it and used it as leverage to win your silence What to do about your parents? Don't tell them. Don't add fuel to their fire. They don't need to know. This isn't something that you have to share with them, particularly if they're going to latch onto it and hold onto it and use it as a cudgel to beat you with and attach importance to it and meaning to it that it doesn't have. So I think that you are within your rights strategically to withhold this information from your parents who are going to misuse it and misconstrue it and abuse you with it. You say they've gone to Christian organizations, no doubt Christian organizations that are all about how you could change and become straight. You don't want to hand them this can of gasoline that they can pour on the embers of their discomfort and rejection. So I would keep this from them, I would keep this private. They don't need to know it, it is irrelevant. It will panic your parents, and it will confirm for them their prejudices. And it is irrelevant. You know it is irrelevant. I know it is irrelevant. The science proves that it's irrelevant. Sexual abuse has nothing to do with whether somebody is gay or lesbian or bi or trans or whatever when they grow up. So you have a right to withhold it from people who would misuse it or misconstrue it. And those people in your life are your parents. Good for you for issuing the ultimatum. Stick to your guns.
4: Hi, Dan. I recently had an interesting experience with a guy I met on OkCupid. Things were going fairly well, some minor red flags, like he asking me to rate my biggest secret on a scale of 1 to 10, and being generally pretty bad at communicating when we weren't face-to-face, but I liked him. Before our our fourth date, though, he texted me asking if it was okay to share a dark secret over text. The secret turned out to be that he is an adult baby, and that being an adult baby is a pretty big part of his personality. Uh, being a fan of the show, I replied that I'm GGG and I'd still be done for dating, but that I wasn't interested in that, but I'd be fine if he wanted to pursue that fantasy elsewhere. Well, he pretty much shut down after that. He called the next date off, and when I got irritated and pushed for his reasoning, he said that it was not a fantasy and that I wasn't as actually as GGG as I thought I was by referring to it as a fantasy and that his feelings were very hurt. I guess my question is, when you've got a fetish is rare and extreme as being an adult baby, do you have the right to expect anyone to react with anything better than how I reacted? Have we reached this sexual mountaintop where I'm not allowed to have a non-judgmentally negative first reaction to finding out the guy I like wants somebody to change his diapers? Also, shouldn't he really be on set life if this is is something essential in his life? I don't really feel like I wasted my time, but isn't he wasting his?
2: Adult babies can be such adult babies sometimes. Um, he doesn't have to only go to fet life looking to date. Uh, it is my advice to kinksters who are looking for partners to really uh, move on both fronts, to date normals or people who are, can be presumed to be normal, that they meet the way everybody meets people in bars, clubs, through regular life, through friends at parties, uh, to date those people and then disclose at a reasonable point after they get to know you just a little bit. And that sounds like what he did. He got to know you a little bit, went on one date, asked a couple of leading questions, which indicated that, you know, he had deep, dark secrets. If he's asking you about yours, what he's saying is I have some of my own. Uh, And then he disclosed. So he did that right. And also he could concurrently and should concurrently be on life, be on kinky dating sites, looking around. When it comes to a rare sexual interest or fetish like adult baby, it's a really good idea to date kink muggles, people who don't have kinks to date normals. Uh, And roll it out because the odds of encountering another person who shares your fetish in the kink world that you're emotionally, socially, and in other ways sexually compatible with are 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 pretty slim. It's almost better uh, a better strategy for a lot of people with rare kinks to build a partner out of a kink muggle to have somebody fall in love with you and then fall in love with your kink by extension. A GGG partner, for instance, who can go there for you and may adopt your kink or come to appreciate it, and that. Probably was what he's hoping for for you. Not going to happen with you. You were very clear. Ha, interesting. I'm GGG would be interested in continuing to see you. But that is a fantasy that you would have to explore with others. And this is where the adult baby demonstrated that he was a baby. Lots of kinksters regard their fetish, whether it's BDSM, whether it's adult baby, whether it's pup play, as something more than just a fantasy that's overlaid on top of their Person, their persona, uh, their other sexual interests, it's something from their soul. They're not playing at being a puppy, they are a puppy. They're not pretending to be an adult baby, they have an adult baby inside them that they are allowing out, they are expressing. So when you called it a fantasy, you stepped on a hidden landmine that as a non kingster, non fetishist, you wouldn't even be aware of, which is this attitude about many kingsters that this is about who they are inside, deep inside their soul. It's not just a little fantasy activity that they pursue on the side. So he was obviously too sensitivo to explain that to you. He could have rolled that out and talked to you and used this as an opportunity to educate you about the fact that as an adult baby, he's not play acting. It's not a fantasy. It's not a fantasy football league. It's something about his soul, who he is inside, deep inside but he chose just to have a little shit fit and uh, wet his pants. But an answer, finally, in answer to your question, we have not yet reached that mountaintop where folks are not allowed to have a genuine, uh, non-judgmental but negative reaction to somebody else's kinks. You don't have to do it, whatever it is, to be considered GGG or non-judgmental or supportive. Not everything is, appeals to everyone. Your reaction sounded just fine, a little semantic dust-up with a sensitivo, pouting, pants shitting adult baby that you're well rid of, frankly. Not because he's an adult baby. You're not well rid of him because he's an adult baby. Just to be clear, adult babies out there listening, you're well rid of him because he's an overly sensitive, nutty adult baby. And I just got hit on by a
1: 13-year-old. How do I reject a minor without making them feel ashamed? It's Dan. Hey Dan, how are you?
2: Uh, I'm fine, how are you? I'm excellent. I don't think I I think I would be still traumatized if a 13-year-old had made a pass at me. How old are you? I'm 26. Okay, you're twi- you're twice this person's age. Yeah. But what we what we're all dying to know and the reason we're calling you is what did he do? How did he make a pass at you?
1: Well, at a sci-fi convention here, and um, <laughs> at night are... Yeah, I'm serious. So an all ages, sci-fi convention, I volunteered at it this year. And, you know, because it's all ages, there's are kids and everybody can some parts of volunteering. So I ended up volunteering with this kid for a lot of it. And one of the nights, the party room's all of alcohol. So, you know, the older people were all partying, and the kids kind of go hang out in the teen rooms or whatever. But he runs into me, and he's like, hey, you want to go around to the party rooms with me? tonight like by ourselves and you know i, I took that kind of like a like an invitation for a date and, uh,
2: but he didn't make a pass at you he didn't say hey lady let's get it on he was just like do you want to hang out you want to run around
1: yeah but you know you like my husband was right there and my husband's looking at me he's like you're just and he's like he totally just asked you out on a date i'm like no he didn't my husband's like i've been 13 years old before he totally just asked you out
2: Okay, well, oh, then let's back up. There's a difference between a 13-year-old asking you out and a 13-year-old asking you to put his penis in you. But, you
1: know, well, I mean, he didn't get that far. But okay, so it was
2: a 13-year-old <laughs> that you were hanging out with socially and you worked together, and he was just yeah. like, do you want to run around to the parties with me? That's different. That's like a 13-year-old wants the bragging rights of hanging out with this 20-year-old girl maybe, but he wasn't necessarily going for it. Your, your call made it sound like he went for <sighs> it. He made a pass at you.
1: Man. Well, I mean, it felt, it felt like it <laughs> at the end after my husband said it, I was like, ah, shit. And the first night it was easy. Cause I'm like, man, I mean, honestly, you know, these party rooms are like, I've been drinking. This is not appropriate. So maybe another time. But then he kept making a point to find me as often as he could uh-huh. to, to keep bringing it up to say, Hey, come hang out with me by ourselves.
2: <laughs> without we, your husband, let's ditch you, yeah without
1: yeah, without your friends or my family, and I'm like, oh, hmm, so yeah, no, he did he was not that explicit we're you know we're good midwestern folks, we can't be that explicit,
2: all right, so your question is, how do you deflect the pass or the invitation to hang out of a thirteen year old without sex shaming him
1: yeah like i don't I don't want this to be like the first time that he tried to approach a girl, and then I'm like no way gross, like, even though I've been, like, working with you, like, you know, I don't want to make him feel bad to ask other people, you know, in in the future.
2: So how did you get out of it? What did you say to him?
1: I, I went around with him for, like, 20 minutes to the room, and I'm like, okay, I gotta go.
2: So you so for fear of causing him, you know, eternal damage from, from a mild rejection, you ended up having to hang out with him in the way that he wanted you to hang out with him.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I did it on my terms. I'm like, okay, we'll do one room. He was like, we're going to go here, here, here. I'm like, no, I'll go to one room with you. And then I got to go. My friends are waiting for me.
2: Oh, you're like, nice. Okay. You were, that was yeah. really nice and kind.
1: I was trying, you know, I was like,
2: well done. I um, think you, I think you kind of did it right. You made it clear okay. that this was an, a limited indulgence because you, you liked him as a person. But there was no possibility of anything open-ended because you weren't going to hang out with him all night. You weren't going to run around with him all night. So this was just like, yeah, I'll go to a party with you and then we're going to have to part ways because I have to go see the adults that I came with and and the particular adult I come with, and that ain't you. Right. And And there are places you can't go yet because you're 13. You know what one of those places is? My vagina. Right. That was all implicit in the way you handled it. Okay, okay. You, get, so I, you so liked him you, you liked him working with him and hanging out with him so you could hang out with him a little bit socially, even though he's 13 and you're 26. And maybe right. he was getting his, like, flirt on and trying shit out. But I'm sure if you looked at him and said, yeah, I'd love to hang out with you and you want to fuck later, he would have had a heart attack and died. <laughs>
1: right.
2: <laughs> and I'm glad you didn't say that because I'd have to call the cops. Right,
1: yeah. No. No, I didn't do that, no.
2: That said, you know, if he had done anything inappropriate, you don't want to be inhibited by a fear of shaming someone who should be ashamed of what they've just done.
1: Oh, right. Like just yeah. I mean, if he if he had said something totally inappropriate, I would have called him out on it. Um,
2: or done something inappropriate. You can't you know, sometimes I, I talk to people who are sex positive and they're so worried, they're so twisted up about not wanting to shame or slut shame or sex shame or kink shame or anything else shame anybody else that they won't. Sp- speak up to people who've done things that are shameful that they should be ashamed of. Yeah. If, if he had, if he had put a hand on you, if he'd said something really inappropriate, that requires a little bit of pushback an aggressive pushback and firm pushback so that he doesn't turn around and do that to some other girl, to a girl, his own age or a girl, 12 years old, or think right. that that's how you treat women and that women don't mind that kind of treatment. So if he does something shitty and awful and inappropriate, it would have been perfectly uh, appropriate for you to be shitty and awful right back at him, more shitty and awful than he right. had just was to you because you want to cauterize that shit immediately. But, uh, right. but I think okay. you handled it perfectly. And I don't think you had to go to the parties with him to handle it perfectly. I think you could have said that I need some adult time with my adult friends, but I'll see you tomorrow at the convention. We can hang out a little bit then. You could have totally shut it down that, that you were willing because of the little interaction you had with him, working with him to, to go to one party with him, give him a little bit of bragging rights uh, I think that was, that was kind of you and appropriate and, okay. uh, props to you.
1: Okay, good. Okay. Just, okay. Good, good, good. I'm glad. And, and he'll be <laughs>
2: masturbating about you for two or three years.
1: Oh, good. I, maybe, maybe good.
2: Thanks for your call.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dan. Bye. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25 year old female dating a 39 year old man. Our relationship is really awesome for certain things and others are difficult like in any relationship. We've been together for about a year now, and the sex is awesome, but there are a few things that aren't cohesive. I am pretty into power play, BDSM type things, and he's not really. Recently, we've gotten a bit better, and I know it takes time to, you know, figure each other out sexually, even though right off the bat, it's been great sex, It's is not pleasing in all my kinky ways. My issue is with my ex. He is, he and I um had a messy breakup where we broke all contact afterwards, and recently I contacted him in a roundabout sort of way where we both admitted to loving each other a lot and set up a time to meet up with most likely potential sex involved, and he is really good at pleasing me where BDSM is concerned. However, I really want to be faithful in my current relationship, which is a new feeling for me since I've been more involved in open relationships in the past. With that said, my current guy says I can do whatever I want because he can't stop me. But I know he wouldn't be okay with me doing my ex. So what do I do? Go fuck my ex and have great sex, even though it'd probably be a mess of drama because we Still love each other a lot, yet I'm not willing to break off my current relationship. Or if not, how do I call off or prevent a fuck sesh even though I'd really like to do so? I'm scared of feeling guilty or creating drama, but at the same time, is it really that big of a deal to fuck my ex? Help, Dan.
2: Here's what you're going to do this isn't what I think you should do, this is just me predicting what you are going to do. You are not going to cancel the sex sesh with your ex. Uh, You want it too badly. Uh, You're going to fuck him. Your current boyfriend's going to find out. There's going to be a lot of drama. You're going to break up with your current boyfriend and get back together with your ex. You could cut to the chase and just end things with your current boyfriend of one year. Uh, Your significantly older current boyfriend with whom you do not have a good sexual rapport uh, as much as you like him. It's just not there. It's not happening. Sex is really important to you. Kink and BDSM are really important to you. And here is your ex. That you say you are still in love with, who is still in love with you, and you guys have amazing and awesome sex, and so maybe you two should just get the fuck back together. You didn't mention what the breakup was about, but clearly wasn't some fatal fucking unforgivable relationship extinction level event that you can never get past because here you are reaching out to him and getting in touch with him and making dates to hang out with him and... You still have feelings for him, love feelings. He still has feelings for you, love feelings, and you are going to fuck this guy. So you might as well go and fuck him. If you want to be a good and decent person, you should probably end things with your boyfriend now rather than waiting for the crack up that will come later. That said, your boyfriend gave you permission to do whatever you want, and that would include arguably your ex. You say your boyfriend probably have a problem with you doing your ex, but you didn't say that your boyfriend told you he had a problem with doing your ex. So legalistically, there's a fig leaf there where you could run off and do your ex and then claim that you didn't know or didn't realize that he would have a problem with you doing your ex if and when he finds out and he probably will find out. So it's when, not if. Again, you love your ex. You want to fuck your ex. You want to fuck your ex a lot more than you want to fuck your current. You should probably be with your ex instead.
0: Hi there, I am a
7: 30-year-old straight woman. I am calling with a question for Dan. I found out about nine months ago that my boyfriend of four years had had two affairs, one that was a little shorter and one that was a little bit more protracted, about four months. I found out from from both of the women, uh, not from him. And it has been a, uh, a terribly painful episode in my life. Uh, he and I have been working on reconciliation, and that is a decision that I made, a very painful decision, and one that I didn't expect to, to sort of happen overnight. Um, however, my family refuses, pretty much flat out, refuses to accept him back. They know more or less what happened, not not sort of all of the grisly details, but the outline. Um, they don't want to talk to him. They don't want to see him. Um, and it has been extremely painful for me. I'm very close with my family. And effectively, they are asking me to live compartmentalized, compartmentalized life. I don't know what to do. I feel like it is sort of a second trauma upon my first trauma. Um, I end up feeling more angry at them than I do at him, which I don't think is fair. Uh, I know that they are trying to love me and protect me in their own way. I tell them that I feel they are choosing their feelings about my life over my feelings about my life, or rather prioritizing those feelings, and they say they can't help how they feel. They don't trust him, and they don't want him to be around me. So, um, I want to move forward in my life and uh not feel this painful stagnation and so i'm wondering I'm wondering what you think if you feel that they are sort of entitled to those feelings despite the pain that they're causing me on top of the pain that I've felt around his affairs, or if I need to sort of push them and be more demanding than I already have that they that
2: they come around. Your family is attempting to force you to choose between them and him. Once you make it clear that you're going to choose him, but you would rather not have it be a choice, they will come around. That said, your family is angry at your partner, at your boyfriend for cheating on you, for hurting you. They're pissed at him. He has asked your forgiveness. Perhaps, He now needs to ask their forgiveness. If you two are working to patch this up, if you're going to work past this and get through it, and infidelity and cheating is so common, touches so many relationships, but there's no guarantee that if you got out of this one for cheating, your next partner wouldn't cheat on you. There's no guarantee that your mother hasn't cheated on your father and vice versa. It's just, this went public. So they're making a public show of their disapproval and their anger and their hurt because he hurt their daughter, their sister. And so they're punishing him. You need to make it clear that now it's gone past punishing him to punishing you. You've worked through it. You've forgiven him and you need them to do the same. If not for him, then for you because they are putting you in an impossible position. And on top of that, he needs to go to them. He needs to be proactive and go to them and ask for their forgiveness and make an apology and acknowledge the pain and the hurt that he caused them too. because it is a painful thing to watch someone that you love, to watch your daughter, watch a parent be abused by a romantic partner in this way, to be cheated on, to be hurt so deeply, as deeply as you've been hurt. So he makes apologies, you make a demand. We're going to take a quick break from the calls. Joining me by phone today, uh, one of the organizers of the Orgy Dome, which we've been talking about a little bit on the Lovecast lately, and I wanted to have him on because I wanted to hear a little bit more about this place. Laszlo is his name. He's one of the camp leaders of And Then There's Only Love, which is the Burning Man theme camp that hosts the Orgy Dome. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Thanks for jumping on the phone. If social conservatives, uh, you know, in their nightmare sort of dystopian future visions of the world, there are Orgy Domes and they are they would probably be in gay neighborhoods like gay neighborhoods would build sort of big geodesic domes over there meant to just be this big pile of writhing bodies. But the orgy dome that actually exists in this country is that Burning Man. Yeah, this is definitely uh, the only one that I've ever been in. And it's not a gay thing, right? Uh, it's not, although it's
8: open to all uh, sexual orientations. The, the orgy dome doesn't discriminate in any way, shape, or form. If you're gay, straight, transgender, LGBT community, everybody's welcome.
2: But do gay people go to Burning Man? Oh, Yes. Really? Um, there, there, oh yeah, there are there are a
8: significant number of uh, theme camps that are uh, you know designated basically as gay camps. Uh, the, one of the old gay encounter camps, Jiffy Lube, was great. There's Camp Beaverton, which is a uh, a lesbian uh, camp. There there are lots of uh, transgendered and and gay people at Burning Man. Uh,
2: okay, now, backing up for for listeners who may not be familiar with Burning Man, what the fuck is Burning Man? <laughs> Well, I guess that
8: depends who you ask. Burning Man is a uh, gathering of people to celebrate art, uh, basically in the middle of the Black Rock Desert, which is about as close to the middle of nowhere as anybody could ever go. Uh, It's northeast of Reno. Uh, This year, there'll be approximately 70,000 people there. Uh, And it's a large music and arts festival that happens out in the desert. Uh, People show up from all over the world. Uh, They build big interactive art. Uh, They engage in all sorts of radical self-expression, which is one of the tenets of the event. Uh, And they uh, sort of uh, cooperate as a community to build this huge city in the middle of nowhere, which a couple of weeks later is gone without a trace. It sounds like hell. Um, it's heaven or hell, depending on who you ask. Um, <laughs> I happen to think it's heaven. Um, those of us that are longtime burners consider it going home. In fact, this will be my 15th burn. I don't,
2: I don't, uh, I don't like camping. I don't like deserts. I don't like sand and I don't like people. So it just sounds terrible.
8: Yeah. It sounds like hell to you. Um, you know, my significant other is a, a wonderful young lady whose idea of roughing it as a four-star hotel. Uh, this will be her 10th burn. The The vibe of the people out there and the amazing art and the amazing music that's built uh, tends to allow people to overcome that. Now, admittedly, we have a motor home and, you know, we have all manner of creature comforts in our camp. Uh, We have a camp shower. We have a camp kitchen. uh, The dome is air conditioned and relatively dust free, uh, as dust free as anything can be out there. So so Um, where,
2: where do the where do the proles who don't have campers have to go to the bathroom. That would be my primary well, concern. Well, there are there are porta the potties. The the, uh, mm, your, yeah, mm, I know. Yeah, and they wait, wait, are, no, wait, wait. They're not just porta potties. They're porta potties baking in the sun in the desert.
8: Yes, they are. And but they are decorated and they are cleaned every day. Uh, there are you know service providers out there.
2: I don't know uh, how clean you can keep a porta potty that's baking in the sun in the desert, or how much decoration. Decopage you can apply the porta potty <laughs> in the desert baking in the sun all day. That's going to make it a pleasant place to be.
8: I, I wouldn't call it a pleasant place. It's not some place that I would want to hang out while I'm there. But you know, it serves an essential purpose.
2: Okay, we, we didn't have you on the show to talk about the porta potties at Burning okay. Man. So we, you are not responsible for those. You are responsible for the orgy dome. What is the Orgy Dome and what happens in there?
8: Well, the Orgy Dome is really a wonderful place, and I I don't want to say I'm responsible for it. I'm one of the members. Our our camp coordinators now are Lefty and Shade, who've been running it since uh, about 2011. Uh, The Orgy Dome is a safe space for people to come and experiment with being sexually social. It's something that we want to share uh, with the other members of the playa. Um, it started in 2003 as a place where uh, Jennifer Steele and her husband were looking to sort of just put up a small dome and have a place to get it on outside of their motorhome because sometimes when you're sharing a motorhome or sharing a camp, it's a little bit embarrassing to do that. And it sort of organically okay,
2: grew. It's embarrassing to have sex in your motorhome. So you're going to go have sex in front of a million strangers in a dome? That's
8: if you're sharing your motorhome with, uh, you know, a couple of other people who maybe are a little bit offended by it or, you know, aren't comfortable with other people being sexually social, it can be
2: problematic. Oh, Okay, I get that. I get it. I get it.
8: And so it sort of grew uh, organically uh, into what is now about, a, I guess, an 1800 square foot structure. It's a little bit misleading. I will tell you that it's not really a dome. It's a series of interconnected structures. We have different rooms in it and Uh, it's set up in such a way where we provide condoms and lube and towels and mattresses. We have a sex swing. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff going on in there. And basically what we do is we restrict it to couples and morsums only. So we don't have a bunch of, you know, single people standing around, uh, sort of making everybody else uncomfortable.
2: And by single people, you mean single men.
8: Uh, single men and single women, quite frankly. I mean, although this year we have a new feature called Aphrodite's garden, uh, which is a meet and greet space so that when people come as singles, uh, they can hang out outside. And if they can meet up with somebody who, uh, they share a a connection with, they can then go in and enjoy the dome.
2: Now, when it comes to safety, what's the enforcement? I do know from going to swingers parties to write about them, uh, that they, you know, they, they're very careful about p- protecting women in those spaces because if the women all are. leave, the women all leave, it collapses. And there are, you know, testosterone-soaked dick monsters out there who can ruin that space for everybody. Oh yes, by acting like testosterone-soaked dick monsters. So what lengths do you know? The caller original question that where I found out about the orgy dome was a caller, a woman who wanted to go and was concerned for her own safety. Sure. What steps are taken to make sure that the orgy dome doesn't turn into Thunderdome? Yeah. <laughs> dome is a great place, by the way. But as far as the originome is concerned, we start out with our camp greeters. We have
8: people at the door that monitor the people going in and out. And they do things like they make sure that nobody's overly altered. Uh, nobody seems to be, you know, overly aggressive or anything like that. There's a sort of a meet and greet area. Uh, and they get uh, curated, for lack of a better term. Uh, there are rules in the dome, no shoes. You can't touch anybody without express consent. And that, by the way, goes for staring at people we don't We don't want people sitting in there just sort of gawking at other people. This is a place for people to actually go and play. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're all about express consent. I mean, we actually teach a consent class there about negotiating consent and various different sexual encounters. Uh, If somebody appears to be underage, obviously, we check their ID. If somebody appears to be overly altered, we don't let them in. Uh, we monitor the dome. We have people walk through periodically, usually women in our camp because the dome, the people that are playing are generally more comfortable with women walking through. And if anybody appears to be you know, acting improperly, they're asked to leave. If anybody touches anybody uh, without getting express permission and we're informed about it, they're booted out. I mean, we really do keep it a very safe, comfortable place.
2: This instant city sort of pops up in the desert and it's self-regulating. It sounds like the, it is the, very much the society, so. but you know, if there's an incident of sexual assault, yeah. a- anywhere on the playa, not the orgy dome, how is that police? There isn't a Burning Man PD, is there? Well. Well, there,
8: initially there are uh, Black Rock Rangers, which are uh, Burning Man members who you know go to the event and they sort of self patrol, and they're more uh, sort of dedicated to <clears throat> conflict resolution and things like that. But the the Black Rock uh, Desert is patrolled by the Bureau of Land Management, a federal organization, and it's also patrolled by the local police, the Pershing County Sheriffs, and so on. So there is law enforcement out there. People that think that this is just a completely autonomous zone uh, are unfortunately mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in, in any city of 70,000 people, uh, there are going to be a few people that sneak in that don't have the best interest of all others concerned uh, at the forefront of their consciousness. And so people have to take, you know, steps to protect themselves. One of our uh, credos out there is uh, radical self reliance. So we want people taking care of themselves. And, you know, <laughs> as this dust up started before, you know, don't take candy from strangers is one of the things that I could
2: highly recommend people consider. Well, I agree with that 100%. Don't take candy from strangers and uh, watch your drinks, whoever you are, wherever you are. Any last words of advice for anybody thinking about coming to Burning Man for the first time? I will – wait a second. I'm going to think about coming to Burning Man right now. Mm, No, I'm not coming. But anybody else out there who might be thinking about coming to Burning Man, your advice for them as a 15-year vet burner.
8: Well, the first thing I can say is I happen to think that Burning Man is a truly transformative event. Um, you know, if if there's Kool Aid to be drank, I certainly drank it back uh, in 2000. But some of us don't um, want to
2: be transformed. Some of us are perfectly happy as we are, and and that's fine. And if you
8: want to go and approach Burning Man as a, a large music and arts festival, that's one way to do it. Um, some of the stuff that you will see out there will really amaze you. I mean, people build sculptures that are you know 20 stories tall. And it's something that you would never see anywhere else in the world.
2: And I see them on YouTube and that's good enough for me. And I see them uh my friends go I have some friends who go to Burning Man. None of them gay, all of them buy. I, mm-hmm. thought, I thought gay people didn't go to Burning Man only buy people. And I look at their nah. pictures when they come back, and that's good enough for me. I'm gonna I love Burning Man from a distance.
8: And and you know, that's fine, Dan. I, I gotta say there are all sorts of things in this world that a lot of people love from a distance. I mean my girlfriend doesn't like scuba diving. I love it. She's perfectly content with me showing her pictures of fish. So if uh, no not, pun intended, not everything no intended. has to be for everybody. Right. And so it really isn't for everybody. I mean, if you, for example, if you have, you know, bad asthma or something, the dust out there can be very dangerous to you. If you really aren't into putting up with that kind of survival mentality, this probably isn't the place for you to go. It, it does take a, a fair amount of of survivalist skills just to get along in a black rock desert where it could be 125 or 30 and it can get so dusty that you can't see your hands in front of your face. But if you can brave those kinds of things, and if you're open-minded enough to take it in, I really enjoy it out there. And I, I think that uh, a lot of your listeners would truly enjoy it.
2: And if you're brave enough to take on those challenges and if the art and the culture and the altered states and everything else appeals to you, you know now that there is an orgy dome there waiting for you. If is. That is your thing.
8: And if you'd like to, uh, you know, check us out more, we have a website. It's called and then there's only Love.com. You can check it out. Uh, our camp is full this year. We've got about 120 people camping with us just to put the whole thing together. But we, uh, you know, every year we have people that join and they want to camp with us next year. If you want to join or if you want to donate to the Dome, we certainly would be grateful for all of that.
2: Laszlo, camp leader, one of the camp leaders of And Then There's Only Love and one of the organizers of the Orgy Dome at Burning Man. When is Burning Man? When is it coming up? Burning Man starts uh, on the 24th of August. It's always
8: the week right before Labor Day. And so uh, it opens that uh, Sunday and then it runs through the following Monday, uh, September 1st. Uh, it's, It's always the same week every year. Uh, And it's coming up fast, and those of us that are going are in sort of panic mode right now because even though the first thing you start doing when you get back from Burning Man is planning for next year's Burning Man, there never seems
2: to be enough time to get ready. Laszlo, thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us today. A real pleasure. Thank you, Dan.
5: Hey, Dan. I am a 22-year-old straight male, and I've got this phenomenon where whenever I rub my feet, my bare feet, uh, back and forth on the ground quickly, I get this really, really intense feeling in the tip of my penis and the feeling is so intense that i can't do it for more than two or three seconds before i have to stop so if i'm in the shower and i rub soap on the bottom of my feet i rub it on the, uh, the shower floor then it's super intense or if i'm on the carpet like i'm trying to garner static electricity it's really intense only in the tip of my penis and none of my friends experience this and i can't find anything online where anyone else has experienced something similar so I'm just wondering if this something that is unique to me, or only a few amount of people have this. Yeah, so any insights that you have, or maybe other listeners have, uh, it'd be great to hear.
2: A few weeks ago, I acknowledged that I don't have all the answers, that I sometimes get questions that completely stump me. I am stumped by this question. I have no idea why, when this guy rubs his feet on the ground, he gets a tingly feeling in and- his swimsuit area and the tip of his penis area of his swimsuit area. No idea at all. I would hazard to guess that it's some random nerve crossing that's particular to this guy and therefore so rare that there's not going to be a body of research or evidence out there discussing this, but I don't know. So I'm tossing it out there to my educated audience, to my listeners. If any of you have an idea about what's up with this guy's feet and his dick, Give us a call and we'll play your response on a future show.
9: Hey, Dan, this is a 26-year-old trans guy living in the South. I'm in a small program at a local school and miraculously in that program, I met another trans guy in class who passes 100% of the time, which is where I think I'm getting all of this information from. So last semester, he told me a guy in class was calling me she. And he tried to correct the guy, but the guy was just insisting on calling me female pronouns. And I just let it go because I knew that after that semester, I'd never see him again. But last night, I received an email from the same trans guy telling me that another guy this semester was doing the same shit. Like, he just insisted on calling me female pronouns. And despite trans guy's stealth friend in class telling him that I preferred male pronouns and I identified as a man. Um, He just insisted on calling me female pronouns because I have female anatomy and um, breasts and other shit that frankly is none of his business. So I would pull a Dan Savage at a bar and not acknowledge it, but I have class with this guy four days a week and for the next probably two years. So frankly, this older guy has more breast tissue than I do and is taking everything I have to not be a hateful fuck. I pass as male, um, 80% of the time, which I'm lucky for because I live in the South, but I'm not one of those stealth guys and I, and I am out where I feel it's comfortable, which is b- pretty out <laughs> where I live in the South. If he wasn't an ignorant piece of shit asshole, I would be happy to have a chat with him. But based on his reaction, I don't think that's the case. I'd love your help.
2: So there was one guy in your class at your school who is calling you, she using the wrong pronouns behind your back. And the other trans guy in your class who passes hundred percent of the time who's stealth, which means that no one else in your school in your class knows that he's a trans man, but you know, it called you to let you know this, that to let you know that this guy behind your back, not to your face, was insisting on using a female pronoun to insult you behind your back, not to your face. And that made you feel bad, right? And then this trans guy, this stealth guy, your friend, it happens again. And he calls you again to let you know that this other shitty douchebag that you go to school with behind your back, not to your face, insisted on using the incorrect pronoun, insisted on calling you she. And then he ran to you called you to let you know that why is he relaying this shit to you that he is standing up to these people during these private conversations where they unbeknownst to them are saying something shitty about a trans person to somebody who is trans but they don't know that he's trans i guess that's good i guess it's good he's standing up to them but why is he then turning around and instantly calling you and relaying this shit to you it brings to mind the adage what you don't know can't hurt you You wouldn't know that these people were being shitty about you behind your back if it weren't for this deep cover stealth trans person who then calls you to let you know and relays this hurtful information to you. So then you are hurt and put into an awkward position with your classmates with knowing that they're saying these shitty things about you, these two dudes. I would, if I were you, ask my stealth trans friend not to relay this information to me. Thank him for sticking up for you in these situations. The best way he could stick up for you is by coming out as trans to these people at that moment himself. But if he wants to live stealth, that's his choice. Thank him for sticking up for you in those moments, for correcting them. But tell him he doesn't need to call you and let you know. Because it's just going to put you in this position where you don't know how to interact with these people anymore, where you feel you must confront them somehow to to stand up for yourself. And it's just going to, queer, for lack of a better word, queer your interactions and make you feel uncomfortable and awkward in class with these people. It would be wonderful if nobody said shitty things about people behind their back, but people do, right? They do. The baseline for civility is how you treat people to their face. Sounds like these people are civil to you, to your face, right? They're not using incorrect pronouns. They're not misgendering you in class, to your face. They're not humiliating you. They're not abusing you or bashing you. They're saying snarky, shitty, transphobic shit about you behind your back. Shit you would have no idea about if it weren't for your stealth trans buddy calling you. Ignorance in this instance would be a little blissier than knowing that these shitty shits are being shitty about you. I would, if I were you, stuff it down the fucking memory hole. If you don't have it in you to confront these guys about these conversations that they've had when you weren't present. Stuff it down the memory hole. Be the bigger person. Interact with them respectfully. Demonstrate to them that you are the better man. Because what else are you going to do? Are you going to run to them and say, this person called to let me know that you said these shitty things about me behind my back when I wasn't there going to make you look a little defensive, a little crazy. It'll out your friend as I guess a tattletale. How would your friend feel about that? Has your friend told you you're not allowed to tell them that he told you? I bet he has, which puts you in this terrible position. Ask your friend to shut up. Ask your stealth buddy not to tell you the shitty things that these transphobic shits tell him or say in front of him on the assumption that they're not in the room with a trans person so that you can focus on getting your education and getting the fuck out of this place full of shitty people. Being privy to this information about these conversations that don't involve you, even though you come up and then are maligned, is making it harder for you to get your education. Allyship is a word that gets thrown around in trans land a lot. It's weird to discuss allyship and reference to one trans person's allyship with another. But I think that your trans stealth buddy is being kind of a bad ally to you, the not stealth trans person in class, by tormenting you with this information that he is privy to only because he is stealth. He needs to shut his mouth. He needs to stick up for you, continue to do that and not relay that information to you. because It puts you again in an impossible position.
4: Dan, this is a young, 20-something on the West Coast. I had a bit of a problem. So I've been married for about three months now. And my husband, he's wonderful. He's great, fantastic. I love him more than anything. But there is a problem in the sex. So to understand that, you have to go back to when we first started dating four years ago. And I told him that I wanted to save vaginal intercourse for marriage. Everything else... Was fine, but just that one thing, I wanted to say that because I thought that was important. I made a commitment my, to myself to do that, and I thought it was really important to keep that commitment. So the first two years, that was fine. No a lot of problems. The next two years that we were together, it became very difficult for him. And to sum it up, he said he kind of had to turn his sex drive off because it was just too much to want sex and not get it. And he just kind of became not interested in that very much, at least not at the same amount that I was. So when we got married, it was kind of risk not knowing what was going to happen and it had gotten much better and he said he enjoys sex and all that, but it's it's not it's only maybe once or twice a week. And I think we're being married for three months, it should be more often. You know, I've spent my whole life not having vaginal sex, so it's kind of something I wanted to try more. <laughs> I don't know if I should just wait and uh, just wait for him to be more into it or if I should just tell him to stop being Mr. Baby. <laughs> you know, it's always on his terms when we do have sex. It's always, you know, he needs to feel good about himself and it has to be, if he, he wants it, if I'm asking him for sex, he thinks that's not as sexy and that girls need to, or in his experience, girls don't uh, ask for sex and make guys work for it and that's more sexy to him. So I really don't know what to do. Do uh, I just wait around? Do I just try to find time to masturbate? I don't know.
2: You sound nice. So forgive me. You sound bubbly and charming and personable. You sound like someone I would really dig splitting a bottle of uh, fizzy rosé with on a beach somewhere. So I feel bad about what I'm about to say. Okay. So at the beginning of your relationship, you played bullshit games with your Twad. You were down for everything, but you wanted to withhold this one thing for silly reasons that I can't comprehend. He can fuck your mouth. He can fuck your ass. He can fuck your armpits. He can come on the top of your head. He can fuck your feet, whatever. He just can't fuck your twat. We're going to hold that back for some reason. So you arbitrarily ruled your twat out. Everything else was fair game because you wanted to save that thing and you withheld it. And it kind of made him crazy. And now you're married to this man and he's withholding and it's kind of making you crazy. He has these arbitrary, nonsensical, patriarchal attitudes about who should hit on who and who should be the instigator that are completely rooted in gender that kind of mirror your arbitrary, patriarchal bullshit attitudes about the magic twat and withholding that until you're married because that's what God wants or that's what's special or whatever. Whatever your reasons were, which you don't unpack. Maybe one day we'll split a bottle of Rosanna beach somewhere and you can unpack them for me. You two deserve each other. You drove him fucking crazy for four years with fuck me anywhere, not my twat. And now he's driving you crazy with only going to fuck you once or twice a week. And only I can instigate because you're not allowed to be horny and it's not sexy for me. Pull the bandaid off, rip the bandaid off, go to him and apologize for the games you played while then saying I am not down with the games you are playing. And we are not going to have a bullshit game playing marriage anymore. So I'm not going to stay in a bullshit game playing marriage. I get horny. I have desires. I, there are things I want. There were things he wanted two years ago, four years ago that he wasn't allowed to have. You might want to apologize for that again for the games you played and say, so there are things I want and I don't want to play this game anymore. This idea that, cause I'm the woman, I, I can't be horny. I can't have desire. I can't instigate cause that's not sexy for you. You need to get over that. Women get horny. Women want sex. That should be also sexy to you. That I want to fuck my husband should turn my husband on. That I desire you should turn you on. I want that to turn you on. I'm not going to bottle that up or hide it anymore. I'm not going to sneak off and masturbate and pretend to be some pristine virgin, like, you know, the one you married, who never thinks about sex. Game over right? Bullshit games over. Apologize for the games you played. Tell him you're not going to play the game he's playing now. And if that destroys your marriage, maybe that's for the best because I can't think of anything if I were a woman worse than being married to a man who regarded my desire or my horniness as somehow negating of my femininity, as somehow violating the terms of the gendered contract that was our marriage, or that is a marriage. You want out of that if that can't change, if he can't change. So call his fucking bluff, game over, and if he can't evolve, then end it. And then don't play the save in the pussy part for marriage with your next boyfriend slash fiancé slash husband. Because you see where those kind of patriarchal bullshit games get you. They get you married to a bullshit patriarchal game-playing person. Which is kind of what you deserve when you play bullshit patriarchal names like the one you did
0: Hi Dan this is a comment for the uh, man in Chicago who just moved into his new neighborhood and is being catcalled by his elderly neighbor and I know that you think that that's um pretty easy to to do and say to somebody but um what your advice was but for me, as a woman, if I were going to say that to an elderly man who was calling me in my neighborhood, it would make me feel really uncomfortable and uh, anxious, and I know that it would be him playing on my anxieties and inhibitions, doing that and perpetuating that. But another option for your caller, um, which I know is uh, not ideal in the Dan Savage world, would be advice you gave someone a long time ago in the coffee shop. And it would be to wear headphones on your way home and kind of look down. And if you turn it up loud enough, then you can't hear what he's saying. So it can't make you uncomfortable and you just kind of glance. But if you don't turn them down and you just keep them in to still hear what he's saying and seeing if it's getting better, you can pretend like you didn't hear it. But uh, I know it can be really awkward if you actually have that encounter with your neighbor. And so for, for me as a woman, I would just headphone it and... Hope he gets the picture, little smile, nod, and eventually maybe it would stop. Hi, Dan. This is in
5: response to the gay man that is getting unwelcome advances from the old man on his block in Chicago. My thought was that before you go straight into the haze and make me uncomfortable, why not drop hints? Like when he says, hey, good looking, say, hey, grandpa, hey, old man. Or if he says, hey, handsome, say, hey. If only you were 30 years younger. And then if he doesn't get the hint, then say, hey, look, your advances are getting me really uncomfortable. I just thought maybe there is a gentler way to put it before going straight into the talk.
10: Hi, Dan. Calling in response to episode number 406, the woman whose downstairs neighbors were getting high and their smoke was floating in through her window. You want to be a good neighbor. Let me tweak Dan's advice. Next time you smell the pot fumes uh, coming through your window that is open due to warm weather, you go downstairs with a plate of, ideally, fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies. If you don't bake, then a plate of double-stuffed Oreos or Mystic Mints or Frosted Animal Crackers. You knock on the door. You politely explain that you are their upstairs neighbor and you're really sensitive to smoke. Um, Next time they're going to smoke, would they please give you a call so that you can shut your windows for 15 minutes and that you will tolerate being a bit warm yourself in exchange for this courtesy, and you'd be more than happy to keep the cookies coming. What do they like? I guarantee you they will then think of you as a wonderful neighbor.
2: And we're going to leave it there. Thank you, as always, to all of our Magnum subscribers. And if you want to share the Lovecast, you can send it as a gift. Just go to SavageLovecast.com and click on the gray gift button. 206-201-2720 is the number. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. The deadline for Hump my amateur porn film Festival approaches. It's coming up. Go to humptour.com for information about submitting a film for this year's Hump Film Festival in Seattle and Portland and nationally on tour next year. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.